DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We're joined now by the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locks on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Please visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. David, good morning. Good morning, DJ. Good morning, PK. How are you? Good. We're good. PK, PK, where were you during the L.A. riots? In Los Angeles. That's what I figured. That's why I asked. You were working for the Daily Breeze, if I remember correctly. Is that right? Yes, you remember correctly. Yes, that very day, uh, Wednesday, uh, April 29th. 1992, I was assigned to do a baseball game, and I took a radio with me because I knew that the verdicts were coming out, and I had to travel through the areas that Reginald Denny had traveled through, and so as I was uh, covering the game, I had the radio so I could make sure that I stayed on the freeways uh, because I thought there might be trouble, and I got home, turned on the TV, and watched my city explode. Yeah, no, I was was at, uh, I was just finishing... Uh, something on that listening to Wesley Ruff has like the craziest story about it um, and I was just piecing that together for that 91-92 season thing I'm doing and um, I was an intern at Prime Ticket in LA and my memories the verdicts came out and the president came over to loudspeaker and immediately announced everyone go home unless you have to be here to work on the 6 o'clock show tonight Go, please go home immediately. And I remember, so I was in Century City, so I was probably driving the 10 back to Occidental, which is Glendale, Pasadena area, if I'm right. So the 10 to the 130, 10 yeah. connecting through the freeway to the 134 to the 2. Um, yeah. And I remember looking out to my right-hand side and just smoke starting to billow up. And it was like, and then uh, I, I actually was interning at KMPC in L.A. down the KTLA building, and I was in Hollywood, and I was silly enough that I actually went the next day. Like, you're an intern. You don't want to ever, like, not show up, right? So I was like, oh, i got to go. <laughs> and I remember um, that's when, they, what is it, Fredericks of Hollywood they broke into, which was, like, a big deal because it was Fredericks of Hollywood. And I remember driving home that day. You did not stop at any red light. You just kept driving. It was pure anarchy. And uh, it's actually funny because I've always been like, taxes, sure, I'll pay taxes. Stop signs, red lights, green lights, all for these things. Willing to pay taxes for all these things, having lived one day in my life where, you know, pure government, it was pure, pure anarchy. And you Sorry, br- random thought. That's what I was working on all morning, and I thought of you during it, so I just thought I'd ask. You bring all this up because you've spent more than a day and more than a morning. It feels like you've been spending about a week breaking down the 91-92 jazz season and how pivotal you think that was in the history of the franchise. Yeah, so I kind of decided to do it. I don't know what I decided to do. Just kind of dig into a season. It's turned into a five-episode documentary. It's turned into like eight hours of work every day. Um, No one's listening to it either, so it's a total bummer, but it's all right. It was probably good for me for my mental health. Um... (laughs) But I just thought it's for me personally. It was it's an interesting year because it was the last year I was a fan. I started working the next year covering the team and been in the business ever since. So it's the last time I what ninety one ninety two was the last time I was not covering the league. Um, and I was a huge Jazz fan, and I remember I remember the year well. But I was also in college in L A. And you know it's funny like some of the things like the biggest game of the year 
the Jazz play San Antonio, Mailman's quoted in the Salt Lake Tribune, and thanks to Joe Baird of the Salt Lake Tribune for giving me the access to their archives. Um, and Malone's quoted, like, openly saying, it's the biggest game of the year, and Jeff Malone saying the same thing. And then there's a note that the game will start at 8 o'clock to accommodate San Antonio television. So think about that for a second. So that means that for San Antonio to air the game, they had to be at 9 o'clock at night outside of any prime window to be able to get the game on in San Antonio in 1992. Um, You know, the Jazz actually have a bunch of home games that year that aren't even televised, and they had a road game in Miami that wasn't televised. So it's really just an interesting – it's the year the Delta Center opens – it's an interesting time because the NBA still hasn't fully exploded. We're not at the point we are now with oversaturation. The riots happen. Magic gets HIV. Daryl Griffith gets released. Thurl gets traded. The Jazz play the game. It's probably the single most important game in all of franchise history of whether or not they're ever going to hold together to make to the point. They don't win one of these games that I think they don't hold together. They play the greatest regular season game in franchise history against the Bulls. So it's been one of those things that the more I researched it, the more exciting it got. And then there were even like some stories that I had to drop just because I didn't have time, but they were really interesting. One of which was, if you think back, that's 91. That's when Jordan and Barkley suddenly say, well, we might not play the Olympics if it's sponsored by Reebok. Right? We're going to wear the flag over our Reebok logo because we're Nike guys. And if you think back, that's actually a really pivotal moment in kind of the history of player strength and player power. So you think if they lose that, they let Jerry Sloan go, and do you think they would have moved Stockton or Malone? Could the whole Troika have been uh, all broken up and sent in different directions? So they play game five against the Clippers on the backside of the riot, and, you know, they've Sloan's in his fourth year. He's been exited out in the first round of the playoffs in two of the first three. The other time they get blasted by the Blazers. He's got... You know, Stockton's a four- or five-time All-Star at that point. Malone's a four- or five. So no doubt how much talent he has. Um, and so if they lose that game five to the Clippers, they're a two-seed that loses to a seven-seed. They would have gone out in the first round three of the last four years. And then the other one that's hard for us to remember, and frankly, Steve Loom uh, was the one who reminded me of this, Stockton was turning 30. At the time, a six-foot-one point guard turning 30 seemed like he was on his last leg. We didn't realize he had another decade left in him. And so I do think that you look back at that Game 5 first-round game against the Clippers as the most pivotal game in franchise history. I, I don't know what to say on that. And was, it, was it going to be that way? Was it not? I'm, I'm not sure. I don't think that uh, Larry Miller was inclined to make coaching changes. How many coaching changes did he make? Well, he didn't, and we, and that's what I think is so interesting about it is that maybe that's the truth, or maybe, you know, maybe it never got to the point where it had to happen. There were definitely some times later on where it losses into the Rockets and some other first round losses that it felt like there was a possibility. Right. But there had been a trust that had been built between Sloan and Miller in that time period. From every interview I've done on this show, that trust hadn't been built entirely yet. At this point. So they're in their fourth year together, and it's as though this season is the season in which, and I can't remember whether it's Brad Rock or Phil Johnson who mentions it, but I think, I think, or maybe it was Steve Loom, who really feels that it was interesting to watch that relationship grow, and that this, in that season, and maybe that specifically that win against the Clippers and then the whitewashing of the Sonics to move to the Western Conference Finals for the first time ever 
was what allowed for there to be that trust and that relationship develop. But it doesn't feel to me, and I, you know, who knows in retrospect, but reading the articles and doing the interviews, that that trust between Larry and Jerry had been built up yet in 1991-92. Maybe not, but I think that Larry's personality of knowing that this is what I want and this is what I need to go through to get to what I want, and it's not going to be easy. So maybe he didn't have that individual trust in Jerry specifically, but I think he had a trust in how you build an empire, and it is not through making a bunch of changes. It is through going to work every day and having that work ethic and letting nothing get in the way and going about it knowing that there's going to be setbacks. That's that's just my own two-bit psychoanalysis of the situation of what I saw. Of what I, well, I wasn't here at the time, but what I seen of Larry Miller later on and thinking that he wasn't prone to make a change because he probably had some setbacks in his life as he tried to build his empire of businesses and had to overcome all those things and that would lead him to be inclined to stick with this man which is obviously what he did throughout his entire time as the owner so i think i agree with a hundred percent of what you said and what i've been trying to do is to put using the Stephen Covey line of like viewing the world through other people's lenses, I've been trying to view the world through 1992 and and, and, and it's hard to do, right? Because you have 2020 kind of the way we view the world now and you're looking back 30 years later. So the other factors though that were in there was that that was the year the Delta Center was built and it just feels and we and they, the Jazz get the All Star Game announced, and it feels as though there's just it's amped. Everything's amped up. I mean, the news. There's a lot of criticism in the newspaper articles about the team. Um, you know, or it's not criticism. It's you know, Steve Loom has a great lead to a story that if the Jazz were to subscribe to a magazine, it's psychology today because this team has multiple personalities. Um, there's all sorts of little blow-ups throughout the season inside the team, which probably aren't a big deal, but they did exist. Um, they, there's, so it's hard to kind of go back and try to figure out. I think I agree with you 100% on who, who Larry is. Um, I certainly agree with you 100% on who Larry is now that we look back from 2020. What I've tried to do is look at it from 1991 and 92, and I can't tell um, entirely. I mean, Mark's eaten and says in an we haven't aired it yet, but says, you know, Jerry was on the hot seat. Like they, he remembers that is that Jerry was on the hot seat. Um, Phil Johnson does not remember that. He, he says, I never worried about that. The players had our back. If the players were to go and turn on us, then maybe it would have been differently, but the players had our back. So um, it's interesting. I mean, it's really been fun and interesting. And, you know, frankly, I probably, as I said, kind of tongue in cheek, needed it from a mental health, but I probably did just to give me something to do here. Since we spoke to you last, the uh, 12 commissioners had the, uh, the conference call with the president. And then we heard from Adam Silver, everything gets pushed back to uh, May 1st. Are you talking to any NBA people? Are you hearing anything? Or is it after that phone call and that announcement by the commissioner, does everything just go to the back burner and let's just get to May 1st and reevaluate? I think, it's the, I, think it's the, I think there were a bunch of things there. So I do think that the, the president gave everyone a push, right? It really felt as though that... That was kind of a message to the sports leagues to go get out there and, and do everything you can. I thought Adam Silver had the appropriate quote that, you know, when 
we're told certainly we'll be out there as soon as it's, you know, we're told by the experts that it's, it's safe. We'll be there at the first second we can be. Um, you know, I, there's a lot of money on the line. Like, um, there's a lot of money on the line. So there's about a billion dollars on the line, it sounds like, from everything I've read and people I've talked to. And, you know, the Jazz would like them, the league, not the Jazz, the league would like to get this 70-plus games played. They'd like to have a playoffs. Um, that will alleviate a lot of problems. The, 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 the most telling quote someone has given me is, if we don't play, there'll be a three-year ripple effect on financial ramifications and salary gap and all of those kind of things across the league. So there's a great interest in being able to play at some point. Yeah, why wouldn't there be? I came away from that realizing that not I need, need, didn't need to have it brought to my attention. I assumed it all along. Of course, they're going to do everything possible to figure out ways to play the games. Hey, by the way, we were like ahead of the game on on baseball. Little did we know we were being innovative last week. Oh, yeah, about getting down into Phoenix. I mean, we'll see yeah. if that can be a possibility. I mean, I guess it's a possibility, but more of it can be a reality. Right. But, yeah, I don't know um, if they can do it entirely, but um, I thought the idea of everybody sitting in the crowd and six feet away from each other um, seemed a little ridiculous, and you pointed out that it would be 120 degrees, so sitting without shade doesn't seem like the greatest idea ever. Um, but, <laughs> you know, they were pushing. I mean, I don't quite understand – if the catcher is next to the batter, why we can't have an umpire also? But I guess we can't. Like, I mean, I didn't quite. Maybe it was just an excuse to be able to use computerized balls and strikes. Bob, yeah, it seems like they want to do that. Yeah, Bob Costas said, if you're going to try anything different, do it this year because this year is going to be really different anyway. So why not experiment with that? Again, this would be the perfect time. Maybe they should go to home run derby instead of extra innings, and maybe they should get rid of batting orders too. Justin Turner, David Locke, on the same wave of thinking. I've been on this for like six years, by the way. Maybe five. What? My Mike Trout experience. I went to go watch Mike Trout. Because Mike Trout's <laughs> the best player in the league. I was in Anaheim for an event. And I saw him, and then I didn't get to see him for an hour. I was like, this is really boring. And that was another hour, and he walked. I was like, okay, this sucks. And I was like, they got to change the rules. i got to be able to see the star players more often. I need to see Mike Trout every If you do that, and then you can pick the champion in uh, December, like you can in basketball. You can pick the champion in the summer. Why play the regular season? Just get to the playoff because you you know who's going to be in it then. Um, That would be fine if the best players got to the championship every year and the best teams. That'd be good. A little predictable. Um, I don't think predictable has ever hurt the NBA ratings. In fact, the exact opposite has. So from a ratings and a league standpoint, I actually think that's a net. You know, the Lakers, Celtics, Jazz Bulls, Warriors, Cavaliers are the three greatest TV ratings of any series. We all knew they were coming. Well, then just program everything to what's going to get you the maximum TV ratings, and away you go. By definition, yes. We'll leave it there, DJ and PK. David, it's always good to talk to you. Continue with your uh, historical research. You'll like this one. This one, this one. This is the one that's coming out today. You'll like this one. This one's good for you guys if you have time. DJ PK with David Locke. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.